60,000 is brought to you in part by RP Funding. RP Funding Inc. is licensed and can offer loans in Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Kentucky, Louisiana, North Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and West Virginia, and is also licensed by the Mississippi Department of Banking and Consumer Finance and by the Pennsylvania Department of Banking and Securities. Office is located at 500 Wonderly Place, Suite 300, Maitland, Florida, 32751. Telephone 321-397-4420. RP Funding Nationwide Mortgage Licensing System ID number is 70168, and Robert Palmer's NMLS ID number is 76197. We're saving thousands with Robert Palmer right here on the Saving Thousands Radio Network. Imagine that. Over 80 radio stations talking to people just like you with financial empowerment in mind. Nobody is trying to sell you anything. Robert Palmer comes on the airwaves to help you out with your personal finance, credit cards, debt management, home ownership, and just about everything else that has to do with each and every dime that goes into your paycheck and then is spent, saved, invested, or whatever. Today, we've got a great show for you. FICO or FACO? What score are you living by when it comes to your finances? A lot of confusion out there. The second part of our show, we'll talk about credit cards are such a huge part of our life, and yet we use those cards and have very little knowledge of how to really use those cards. I think it's kind of like having a Maserati and then just driving it to the grocery store and back without really ever knowing what that Maserati was designed to do. Well, the credit cards can be a huge, huge benefit if you just knew how to use them. We'll also talk today the concerns over that debit card that you're carrying in your wallet or purse. Oh, that can make a major, major problem in our lives. We'll talk about money. And, and the fact that money is an everyday part of our lives, but we never talk to our kids about money. Why is that? All right, we'll talk about Fanny and Freddie and Jenny Mae. They're always in the news, but who are they? What are they? And what can they do for you? And then we have an Ask RP. Yeah, you can ask Robert Palmer questions on this show. We'll have an Ask RP. It's Jonathan. He wants to talk about second homes, investment homes, and much, much more. But right now, Robert... It was about seven years ago, you and I were on the air right here in Orlando, and I was getting my credit score from one of the bureaus. And then you brought up the FICO score. What's that all about? Yeah, so at the end of the day, Rob, it's all about the score that we use as lenders. Sure. And so there's all these people out there pitching their Vantage score, their Vanquish score, Mm -hmm. their whatever, and then they make up crazy unknown scores, right? We as lenders use the FICO score. You know, it was created by Fair Isaac Corporation, F-I-C-O, Fair, F-I, Isaac, Co-Corporation, Fair Isaac Corporation, Mm -hmm. F-I-C-O. And so that's the one, they invented the credit score, and that's the credit score that we all use as lenders, right? Well, the other, what happens is Fair Isaac owns that technology. FICO owns that Mm -hmm. technology. So whenever somebody gets a FICO score, purchases a FICO score to give to you as a consumer, they have to pay a royalty to Fair Isaac. Mm -hmm. And so the credit bureau is trying to be greedy they figured they would just make up their own score for them. They said, oh, how hard can it be, right? How hard, you know, these Fair Isaac guys, they developed the credit score model like 20 years ago. How hard can mm. it be? We've got better technology today, right? And uh, and that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. We as lenders will not recognize their score. Mm-hmm. And so for a long time, they were selling the consumer what I call a FACO score because it's not the FICO score. It's a fake one. It's a FACO score. Well, that's starting to change. There's been so much pressure. You know, I've been talking about this for five years now, yeah. and everybody else is finally catching on that it's deceptive. It's deceptive to sell a consumer one score and then turn around and sell us as a lender a different score, right? It just doesn't make sense. And so now they're finally starting to offer the FICO score because consumers have gotten more educated. They've been told one too many times by lenders, well, I don't care what the score they told you is. This is the score they're telling us, and this is the FICO score. This is the one we're going to use. So it's important that if you are going to track your credit, if you are going to try to make better credit decisions, you've got to use the FICO score, all right, F-I-C-O. You can learn more about it at myfico.com. That's Fair Isaac's website. They will sell you a credit report and score right there at myfico.com. Otherwise, most of the other credit companies will sell you the FICO score. They're going to charge you for it because they get charged for it by Fair Isaac. But if you want to know what the score that we're going to use as a lender is, it's the FICO score. And a lot of people are score conscious, which they have to be, Mm -hmm. because credit scoring is utilized in so much of today's credit decisioning. Right. You know, a 620 FICO score versus a 740 FICO score versus a 500 FICO score can make the difference between no approval at all and approval at a crappy interest rate and then approval at a really good interest rate. It's all about that FICO score. Car lenders use it. Mortgage companies use it. Credit card companies use it. They don't even look at anything else. I mean, pretty much all credit card companies look at today is your FICO score. They don't care about your income. They don't care about your assets. They don't care about what's on your credit report. 
All they care about is what is that number? What is that FICO mm-hmm. score? And so if you're out here tracking a FACO score, a fake one, an inaccurate number, and you think you're there, you know, there's people say, all right, we're gonna be, we're gonna be very, very responsible, right? And we're going to we're gonna get our score up to 740 before we apply for a new credit card so we can make sure we get the best interest rates and fees on that credit card, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So they do that, and all of a sudden their FACO score registers at 741, and they think they made it, and they call and apply for the credit card, and then they don't get the best deal because their FICO score was only 695 or 692 because there can be huge difference between the real FICO score and the fake score that they're selling you. Now, if someone is giving you a FICO score, it's the real one. They can't make up a fake FICO score, right? What they have to do is when it's not the FICO score, they have to call it something else. They have to give it some other name. So the key is when you're tracking your credit score, make sure you're getting the FICO score. And really what that means is that's the scoring model that was developed by Fair Isaac Corporation, the original company. They've now changed their name to FICO because FICO, really? yeah, they, they changed it to FICO because that's what everybody knew them as, FICO, mm-hmm. F-I-C-O, Fair Isaac Corporation, FICO. So they're now just called FICO. And uh, they changed their name, but they invented this. They built the first wow. scoring model. They are the model that we as lenders trust. And what this model does is it looks at it looks at late payments. It looks at on-time payments. It looks at how old your credit is, how new your credit is. Yeah. You know, how, how old is your oldest account? How new is your newest account? How many late payments have you had? How recent are those lo- late payments, right? A late payment last month is a red flag. A late payment six years ago, not so much, mm-hmm. right? You know, do you have any collections? Do you have any charge-offs? You know, what's going on in your credit file that they need to be concerned about? And they built this model. It looks at your balances, the the percentage you owe on your credit cards compared to your limits. So let's say the limit is $10,000 and you owe $10,100, your over limit on that credit card. That's a big negative factor. If you owe $100 on that credit card and the balance is $10,000, that's a positive factor. Because what it says is, it says, hey, he has the ability to go charge $10,000 and he's not doing it. Right. You know, someone with maxed out credit cards who's heavily using their credit is a bigger risk than someone who has all these available credit cards and doesn't use them because they have sufficient money in the bank and they have savings and they're, they're more conscious with how they spend money. All those things are reflected in Fair Isaac FICO built the model that looks at all this. Are you shopping for new credit? If all of a sudden, if you know, so right now, Rob, let's say I pay all my bills on time. Sure. If tomorrow I go out and buy a Lamborghini, three boats, six houses, <laughs> and an airplane, will I be able to make my payments anymore? Probably not. I'd, nope. I'd go bankrupt. And so that's what they look at. When you're opening new accounts, when you're opening new debts, it's all about tracking how are you going to be able to handle this. And so when you do open new accounts, they kind of put you in the doghouse for the next six months uh-huh. because they want to make sure you're going to be able to handle the new liability. You went from this set of bills, and now you added some new bills, and so you have new payments to make. Let's see if you can absorb them. Do you make enough money? And this is why they don't even care about your your income anymore. Uh Because what what Fair Isaac and FICO have figured out, if you're paying all of your bills on time and you're not maxing out your credit cards, then you have plenty of income. If your credit cards are all maxed out and you're struggling to pay your bills, then you probably don't have enough income, right? And if you're responsible, if you've been responsible – for the last five years, this is why age of credit is important, Rob. So if you've if you've been responsible with your credit for the last five years, right? So every time you get a new account, you pay it on time and you never miss a lick. And you've done that for five years or seven years or ten years or fifteen years. The assumption is you're going to do it again. Hopefully. And so when you when you take out the new account, they're not as nervous because you've shown a ten year history of never missing a payment. It, when you're new to credit, you know if you've if you've never had a car loan before or you've never had a big credit card before, and now you're going and applying for a car loan, they're going to be a little more skeptical. So people with newer credit will have lower scores. Because once you've bought and sold 20 cars and never missed a payment, pretty much the score says this guy knows what he can afford and knows what he can't afford. Where someone who's never bought a car before, that very first car loan is harder to get because you haven't shown that, and even the second car loan. So these are all the crazy things that the Fair Isaac, the FICO formula looks at, and even they can't tell you predictively what's going to make changes because it all happens in real time and they're comparing you to so what happens is when someone does start missing payments they know what happened what you looked like right before that right because they have your credit history Mm -hmm. and so they're able to do predictive analysis to figure out what leads up to people to stop missing payments it's i'm very fascinated by the science of it what you need to know as a consumer is make sure you're getting fico all right if you're tuning in late you're saving thousands with robert palmer you've stumbled upon the radio show that is aimed directly at you. We chose this radio station, so this is a familiar radio station to you, which means that you count on this radio station for information, credible information. 
And that's why we chose it. We studied dozens of radio stations in this area before we gave part of our budget to this very radio station so that we could empower you, the consumer. Yep, all in all, it works out very, very well. Now, along with the radio show, the Saving Thousands radio show, we here at the Robert Palmer family of companies located just outside of Orlando, what we do here is pass along financial empowerment, not just on the radio, but through a great website called savingthousands.com. You see a common link there? Savingthousands.com. We also have a radio app that you can download from your Play Store. It doesn't cost you anything. And the Saving Thousands radio app is a way for you to listen to hour-long hour long programs throughout the day, throughout the night, whenever you want to, from anywhere that you can procure the internet or a good Wi-Fi. Also, we have a 24-hour station on iHeart. That's right. Just search out Robert Palmer on your iHeart, and you'll be able to listen to our shows, our modules, some of Robert's speeches. Again, 24-7. It's a great, great way to go. One of the articles you can read on savingthousands.com right now has to do with the day you pay your credit card is the day that your FICO score we talked about a while ago is really importantly moved up or down. Just look for the article about how to pay your credit card bill. For right now, Robert, let's talk about some of those credit cards that are out there that are good and some are bad. What are we doing? Credit cards are a big deal. I'm actually going to put together a grid of the good ones. Right, so I'm, I've really reached, I've reached out to a handful of banks. Uh, obviously, that Mid Florida card's going on there. That's a great one. If they still even offer that thing, I, I've had it for I've had that card for like twelve or thirteen years. I don't even know if they still have a a nine point nine nine fixed uh, credit card. But I it, know a lot of people that go through Fairwinds here in Florida yeah, yeah, for yeah. their cards. Fairwinds is great. Car loans. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. There again, you go through them. You go to the dealer. You're in control, right? The consumer has to be in control. You let that F and I guy at the dealership handle you. Oh, you just lost. So there's a lot of benefit. If, if you have never looked at a credit union, I would recommend taking a look at them. Um, they're, they're great for a, a lot of things, financial and, and credit related. It's the difference between a, a $2,900 a year interest payment and a $990 a year interest payment. So that's a, and that's a big deal. It's something you gotta, you gotta be aware of. You gotta shop around. You know, I think, I think a lot of people don't even think to shop around for a credit card, right? They, they, they need a new credit card. They get the credit card offer in the mail. They just kind of take it or they're in line at the department store. They just kind of take it. And, and these rules apply to everything, car insurance, credit cards, picking a financial planner, getting a mortgage, buying a car, anything in your life, you've got to shop around because you just, how do you know if you're getting a good deal if you haven't talked to somebody else? You know, well, the guy on TV says that his Kia is $8,000 less. Well, maybe it was just marked up $8,000 to start with. I don't know. You don't know. The only way to know is to look at three of them and compare them. You know, and look at three different kinds of cars and three different kinds of dealers and three different dealerships, you know, and, and three different credit cards and three different mortgages and compare the only, I mean, that, see, one of the great things we have as human beings, Rob, is this cognitive reasoning, right? Like we, exactly. we can, we can make comparisons. We can look at this and look at that and figure out which one's better for us, but you can't make that reasoning comparison. You can't decide which one's better for you if you only have one option. And, and this is something that big financial institutions know, right? And where they know it the most is when people go to refinance their mortgage, all right? This is this is where they know because people say, well, my mortgage is already with Big Crazy Bank, and so I'll just go back to Big Crazy Bank. And so what I will tell you is Big Crazy Bank gives a worse deal to their previous and existing customers than they do to a new customer off the street because they know the probability of that customer shopping around goes down dramatically when they're already a customer. Yeah. So, like, right now, uh, I met a great listener at dinner the other night, Rob. Uh, really nice guy. Well, that's the uh, guy that knew everything about you yeah, from these shows. Yeah, really, really nice guy named John. <laughs> awesome, really awesome guy named John. Uh, we were at Kobe, the Japanese steakhouse, so you're all oh, kind of at the same table. And so we started talking about the show, and and he actually just refinanced with RP funding. Uh, but but he So he tried to call his big, crazy bank first, because in his mind, it's like, which they know, he was just going to use his big, crazy bank. But they didn't get back to him. They dropped the ball, and he said, "You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call somebody else." So we, you know, we called RP mm-hmm. Funding, and got our no closing cost deal. And so I had him testify to the rest of the table that there really were no closing costs <laughs> because some people still think it's 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 not real. Um, but you know, he wasn't gonna shop around. He was just gonna take what the crazy big bank was gonna offer because it, that's who already had his mortgage. And for a lot of people, and they know this, and they know this, and this is why they charge more on refinancing their own loans. Because they know you're less likely to shop around. It just shows how the power of shopping around and making a couple phone calls. In this case, 
uh, I want to say he saved like $4,000 in closing costs by going with us over them when they finally did get back to him. Mm-hmm. $4,000. And that's, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of savings. So how can you do that? Well, it's simple. You got to shop around. And so, you know, one of the great things we have going on right now is the no closing cost refund. Exactly. And so I haven't talked about this a lot during the week. Uh, I talk about it a lot on the weekend show, but let's get to this here on the week. So uh, I had this this crazy idea. It was February because the January we didn't do it at all. Most of February, so maybe March, okay. March, April, maybe yeah, three, two, three months. Uh, and so I had this epiphany that I, I spend a lot of money on advertising, right? Buying TV commercials and radio commercials yes, and sir. sending out direct mail because I got to get the word out. Like I need people to know that we don't charge lender fees and we do all this great stuff and and all about RP funding. NMLS number seven zero one six eight. That's our license number. Right. Uh, and so I said, you know what? Let me try something. I'm going to take two and a half million dollars out of the advertising budget, right? So I'm going to cancel some commercials on these stations and I'm going to send less direct mail and I'm going to cancel some of my Google pay-per-click and I'm going to take two and a half million bucks out of the advertising budget and I'm going to use it to pay all the closing costs when someone refinances with RP funding, all right? So when you go to refinance, there's all these closing costs, three, four, five thousand dollars worth. There's doc stamps, there's intangible tax, there's uh, credit report fees at some lenders, there's appraisal fees, there's all mm-hmm. these things you have to pay. And right now, if you refinance through RP funding, I'm paying all of them with the money out of my advertising budget. You see, people will call here and they will hear about this. And the first question is always, well, how are you doing that? Where's the money coming from? That's right. Are you building it into the loan? Are you hiding it in a pillow? Are you sticking it on the back end? What are you doing? No. I took it out of my advertising budget. That's what I did. I took two and a half million bucks out of the advertising budget. I am using that two and a half million dollars to pay all the closing costs when someone refinances with RP funding. It's pretty simple. Now, other lenders will tell you, well, he can't do that. Well, I they can't do it because they don't have an advertising budget. I do. Mm-hmm. And so I can take money out of it. And I think people will notice my commercials have been on TV less. Okay. My billboards are gone. That's right. All right. Because I took that money. And I'm giving it back to my clients who refinance. Now, this may hurt me, right? Because I don't have as much exposure. I'm not on TV as much as I was. I don't have all the billboards anymore. I'm not sending out as much direct mail. I'm not spending as much money on Google pay-per-click. But what I believe, Rob, I believe that by bribing people to do business with us on refinances, they will then spread through word of mouth. Like John did at the the restaurant. What a great job we did. (laughs) Exactly. And tell friends and family and everyone what a great job we did. And that that word of mouth advertising will be more powerful than what I gave up for two and a half million dollars in traditional media advertising. Mm -hmm. I may be wrong. If I'm wrong, I will have lost who knows how much money because of all the business we didn't get because I didn't run the commercials and the billboards and everything else. But I believe deep in my heart that giving this money back to the people refinancing with RP funding is going to ultimately get me more purchase business, get me more refinance business because more people will see we do exactly what we say we're going to do. There are no, there really are no lender fees. There really were no closing costs on that refinance. We had a great customer service experience. Everything was smooth. RP funding did a great job. That's what I want. And if you tell 10 people that after taking advantage of my no closing cost refinance, where I am literally paying all of your costs with money out of my advertising budget, so you save all that money. I mean, you, it's, it's really simple. The only people who lose here are the, the media companies, right? right? So if you feel sorry for... The local TV stations and the the Google guys and the post office for oh, I kind of feel sorry for the post office, but you know the radio stations they're the ones who lost here. Now I may lose in the end. I only lose if you don't tell your friends and family what a great job we did. Because again, I don't have the TV station out there playing my commercials. I need you to be my commercial. I need you to come in here, refinance your loan. See, there were no lender fees. See, there were no closing costs. See how awesome our staff is. See how great our office space is. See how smooth the process is. See how much money you saved. And then go tell 10 friends. And I think mm-hmm. that is a better way to leverage the $2.5 million that I sucked out of the advertising budget in order to pay all your closing costs. And if you want to give that a whirl, if you want to be part of the unofficial RP funding advertising team by getting a, a, more, a refinance with no closing costs, just call 855-773-8634. That's 855-RP-FUNDING, 855-773-8634, 855-RP-FUNDING, or you can apply online. Uh, the, there's no obligation to call and have us run some numbers for you. Mm-hmm. There's no obligation to call and see what that looks like. I mean, it's a zero. It's a circle with a line through it. 
But if you want to see what zero really looks like, we can show you what zero. I mean, more importantly, what we're going to show you is how much of the $2.5 million you're getting, right? So we'll show you what the closing cost would have been, 2000 3000 4000 5000 depending on your loan amount. And then you will see how much of my $2.5 million you personally stole from the TV stations and the radio stations right. and the billboard companies and everybody else. Uh, that's the numbers we can run for you. But then it has to make sense, too. I mean, you know, you've got to be saving enough money on the interest rate. You know, you've got to maybe you're getting cash out to send your kid to college or to buy additional properties or to consolidate your debt, whatever it is. Maybe you want to consolidate or drop your term from a 30-year to a 15-year. The refi has got to make sense. I mean, uh, nobody's just going to refi if they're not going to save money. But we're eliminating the obstacle of the closing costs because I'm paying them all out of the advertising budget. Uh, and you can get your piece of that $2.5 million at 855 773-8634. Uh, what I will tell you is the money is not going to last forever. There is mm -hmm. a finite amount, 2.5 million. That's how much I pulled out of the advertising budget. 855-773-8634, 855-RP-Funding. Call now. Let us save you thousands. Well, I hope that by now you're getting the gist of the show that it's all about knowledge, financial empowerment, and making it so that when you go through your week, when you come to a Wednesday, you've still got plenty of money to budget all the way through the weekend. You know, too many of our friends come up to us on Wednesday and they're already done. Their money's gone for the week. Well, what's going to happen if they want to go out to dinner? What's going to happen if sudden, suddenly something breaks? They don't want to have to run down to that street corner place and get a payday advance. I mean, those things are there for a purpose, but once you get that ball rolling, it's a very hard ball to stop. And there's a lot of information on savingthousands.com about getting yourself in debt and how you can possibly get out of it. But I wanted to talk about another feature that we have just for you. It's a great tool for you right here from Saving Thousands. You know what it is? It's called the Home Value Hotline, 866-222-8231, 866-222-8231. That telephone number is imperative for you to have. You could also text us and get your home value at 35353. That's 35353. Simply say, I need to know my home value, whether you're needing to refi or whether you just want to know what your house is worth now, or maybe you're thinking about selling it and making that figure of, would you have enough from the sale of this home to buy the next home? Well, you can find that out at the home value hotline and it's researched by people that are right in the area in which you live. This isn't some computer farm out in California using algorithms of, you know, past sales five or six months ago and the average cost in your neighborhood. It's nothing like that. It's an actual plan that is run by local real estate professionals, bankers, et cetera, mortgage people that gather together and give you without any obligation and totally confidentially the value of your home. That makes it great. Robert, we were talking about credit cards a while ago, but I want to shift the thought for a minute to one of the cards people have in their wallet or purse that you have very, very strong feelings about, and that would be that debit card. So I'm not going to I'm not going to tell you not to use a debit card. I will tell you that I personally do not carry a debit card. Uh, I went through a lot of hoops with my bank to get them to issue me a good old fashioned ATM card that cannot be used as a check card. It, it only is an ATM card, only with the PIN number. Uh, and the reason is, if if someone steals that credit debit card thing, uh, they can run it without the PIN number and the money comes out of your checking account instantly. And the fraud protections aren't the same. Right now, some banks will offer the fraud protections for extra money, but as far as the federal laws go, on a credit card, your maximum liability is $50, all right, no matter when you report it. Uh, on a debit card, it's $50 if you report it in the first 48 hours, and then it jumps up to $500. And then after that, I think after 60 days, it goes to there is no protection. Uh, but the bigger problem is when somebody steals your debit card and, and that money is now out of your account, what's going to happen? You know, my my now wife on one of our first dates, her purse was stolen. Uh, I didn't steal it. You know, thank God. <laughs> no, somebody <laughs> stole her purse. And, uh, they, you know, they went and, and within like 30 minutes, they had they had run this thing up at every gas station in Central Florida. Because trust me, they have a plan. Like nobody's just like, oh, there's a purse. Let me grab it. Like they've got a plan in place. Like we're going to snatch this purse and we're going to hit these 27 gas stations that don't ask for the zip code. Or we're going to look and see what the zip code is on our driver's license because we have that too. And so we're going to type that zip code in on the debit card. See, that's the thing. A lot of people think, oh, well, the, the gas stations, they want your credit card zip code now. Well, how many of you have that on your driver's license? Yeah. Your ATM PIN number is not on your driver's license, I hope. If your ATM PIN number is written on your driver's license, please 
do something about that. <laughs> but yeah, so they have your zip code right there on your driver's license, and they got your debit card, and they will now go systematically drain your bank account. And in her case, uh, her rent check bounced because of this, because you know she had enough money for her rent. But when they cleaned her oh. out at two or three thousand uh, dollars in the course of two hours, and now her rent check bounced. What, what are you going to do now? You know, your landlord, you're trying to tell them the story. They just think you're a deadbeat. Yeah, they don't want to hear it. Sure. And you're fighting with the bank to try to get the money put back. It takes about 10 days at minimum to get that money put back in your account. And how many $35 charges are you racking Uh, up on bounce checks? Killing you with the overdraft fees. Where if that same scenario had happened and she had not had a debit card, if she only had credit cards, they could have stolen the same $3,000 on the credit card. But the difference is her money would not have been in jeopardy. Her rent check would not have bounced. There would have been no overdraft fees. You don't have to wait 10 days to get the money put back. You know, you don't owe the credit card payment for about 40 days, usually, from the charge, depending on when your statement drops and the grace period. So that's plenty of time for you to work this out with the credit card company, where with that debit card, the money is gone. And you may not be able to eat, right? I mean, you're calling your parents like, hey, mom, I need to borrow 20 bucks to eat because some idiot stole my check card or debit card and cleaned me out. And the bank's not going to give me my money back for 10 days. And, uh, and I can't eat. And I need to eat. So can I come over for dinner, Mom? And she's like, come on over, son. You're always welcome home for dinner. Right? Uh, Schlep on over to Lakeland and have a free dinner with Mom. Um, but this is, so de- debit cards are dangerous. I personally am not a big fan of the debit cards. I do not carry a debit card. I have a good old-fashioned ATM automated teller machine card. It cannot be swiped and signed. It has to be pin numbered. It's got to have my pin number in there, right? And, uh, and it's tough to get those because the banks make more money on the, the debit card. They like the swiping. Yeah, they get you know. they get what one percent, two percent for every transaction. Yeah, they get these transaction. interchange fees. There's all these. It's a complicated for them. They get yeah. all these fees and swipe charges, and it's one amount. If they swipe another amount for the pin number and whatever. Uh, the other key is you don't. You know, they the money goes out Im- immediately. Oh, right then. So when you use a credit oh. card, the money doesn't actually. You don't have to actually pay that for like forty or fifty days, which means there, if you are smart, there's ways you can maximize that float on that money by paying less interest or earning interest in an investment. Uh, with a debit card, you don't get that. It just comes right out. So. Uh, rule number 10, we're going to call debit cards are dangerous. Uh, and so, I, I, again, I think this goes back to uh, don't be afraid of credit. There's absolutely nothing wrong. I think everybody, everyone out there listening should have a credit card. There is no reason to not have a credit card. And now don't go crazy and abuse it and don't think this is free money and you can go run the thing up and whatever. You know, no. Uh, it's 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 got to be treated with respect. You know, the you've got to use it wisely, but you got to have one. I mean, I, I think it's much smarter to carry a credit card and pay it off every month than it is to use a debit card or a check card where you're giving the world direct access to your bank account, which can destroy other parts of your finances. Mm-hmm. You know, folks, a lot of times when you're listening to Saving Thousands, we refer to the savingthousands.com, but we also refer to part of that savingthousands.com website, and that is the Saving Thousands Rules to Success. These rules are your GPS for your money. That's right. You have that GPS in your car, right? Or on your smartphone. And it gets you to where you want to get easier on time without the frustration. Well, what if you had a GPS for your money? Well, the saving thousands rules to success come about as close as any other tool I could think of that would ever be available to you. I mean, short of a master's degree and a doctorate in finance. This is a way for you to get through each and every day with power to go through each and every dollar, knowing what part of that dollar goes to this and what part of that dollar is going to that and what part of that dollar is going to investments. It's very great. The 15 rules to success are found right there, right there at savingthousands.com. Let's take a look at the rule number six. Rule number six is to spread your knowledge. If you learn something about finance, let the other people know about it. I mean, if we learn something about our cars, we're so open with other people. If we learn something about a new TV show, we can't wait to tell our friends. But hey, money is a lot more important than those two items. So once you know something about finance, spread it around to your friends and especially your family. Rule number seven, for instance, is own real estate. Own it sooner in your life than later. Rule number eight is practice what you learn and always learn more about finance. You can never know enough. Finance is a part of all of our lives. Rule number nine is share your success. You found that great, great buy on something, let everybody know. Don't gamble with the essentials like retirement accounts, savings accounts, or interest rate locks. And let's talk about 
putting money to work for us. Robert, once we get that money and we paid our bills, let's put that money to work for us. But most people, that's information that's hard to come by, and they're really, really lost in the financial world. Absolutely. There's no way to escape it. There's no way out. You know, it's, the, it's the universal equalizer, right? But they don't know anything about it. And that that's it. That's the key. And so trust me, the, the guys getting rich, the big credit card companies, the big banks, the big insurance companies, the big investment companies, you know, they're all getting rich off of that lack of knowledge. Uh, you know, one of the other big things that we haven't really started touching on yet in the show that, that I want to talk about is, is kind of where people can invest that money. Uh, and, you know, and in the past, uh, I think a, a lot of people, you know, would, would kind of go toward mutual funds. And one of the problems I see with mutual funds is there's uh, the trader makes money by making moves. Right. Mm-hmm. So that the, the fund manager will make a lot of decisions and move a lot of money around just to justify their higher fee. Uh, and so personally, one of the things I'm a fan of uh, is exchange traded funds. They're called ETFs. And so the the idea is if you look at the, we've all heard of the S&P, right? The S&P 500. Right. And we track this every day. And and so the idea between an exchange traded fund is that you're actually investing in the entire S&P 500. Now, the S&P 500 is not something you can invest in. So what companies have done is they buy all of the underlying stocks that make up the S&P 500. And then you can buy that as an ETF. It's called an exchange traded fund. And these have very, very low management fees. And, and so again, you've got to you've got to remember the the guy on the other side of the table is always trying to make money, right? Well, yeah. And, and this is where shopping around becomes so important. Uh, and so you know, when I go to shop around for my personal investments, and I look at the management fees on a mutual fund, and then I compare the management fees on an ETF, uh, an exchange traded fund, it's so much less because they're not making all these moves. They're not actively managing. The idea is stick it in the 500 companies that make up the S&P 500 and let it roll. Mm-hmm. And now when you hear every day, because what you're saying, when people talk about the market, well, how's the market doing today? They're usually talking about the Dow Jones or the S&P, or then, you know, they're, they're looking at the indexes. Right. But most people aren't invested in indexes. Most people are invested in individual stocks. And, and so when we talk about, Rob, don't gamble with the essentials. What's that? Rule number 11, Oops. I think. Don't, uh, lost 11 or 12. Don't gamble with the essentials. And the idea there is that I want you to put your 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 initial money, your retirement account, and everything into this is number eleven, perfect, yep. uh, into safe into safe investments. And, and so I'm going to put ETFs, exchange traded funds, in there into that safe investment category. If it covers an entire index like the S and P 500, where we're not gambling on individual stocks. Uh, but again, all of this comes down to education. All this comes down. A lot of people are either saying, well, you know, what's Robert talking about right now? This sounds foreign to me. Uh, it, it's not. It doesn't have to be. But it goes back to my point that the earlier in life we are taught about this stuff, the more comfortable we are with it. Uh, a great example in today's world is is iPhones and iPads and Androids and, and all the electronic gizmos we have. You will see four and five year old kids who are completely comfortable with a tablet, yep. with a smartphone, right? And then you will see people in their you know fifties and sixties who are who can't. My, my mother is is technologically challenged. And I know I know she could do it, but she's got herself convinced that she can't. And so she, you know, she she couldn't figure out. We got the iHeart channel, and she couldn't figure out how to get the iHeart channel load. So she was going to have one of her friends, who's younger and technologically smarter, come over and, and and teach her. I'm like, Mom, you can figure this out. That you know, there's there's four and five year olds doing this all day long. It all comes down to comfort. And the earlier in life we are exposed to something, the more comfortable we get with it, uh, the better we're going to be with that through our entire life. The kids who are playing around on smartphones at four and five today are never going to be afraid of technology, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and that's so important. And why are we not doing that with personal finance? Thank you, Robert. I wanted to take this opportunity to, one, let you take a breath because, boy, you've been giving us a lot of great information today. So relax a second and let me review some more of those Saving Thousands Rules to Success, your GPS when it comes to your money. We talked about rule number 11, not gambling with your essentials. And I think after Robert's last talk, we now know a little bit more about that. Number 12 is to check references. It is so much easier now for us to check a reference versus what our parents or grandparents had to uh, had to do. So let's say we're going to be buying a big screen TV, or let's say we're going to be buying a high performance automobile, or maybe just an automobile for the family. Well, let's check the references of the model, the make, the company who creates it, the company who sells it, the companies that stand behind it. No matter where you're going to go do business, check them out. And how do you do it? First thing, Google them. 
Just Google the name of the company, but then don't stop there. That's where too many people stop, and that's the disconnect. That's where we get in trouble. So not only check their website, but then go a little bit further and back up in the search engine, add the word review, then add the word BBB, Better Business Bureau, and then a third step, add complaints and problems and see what you get because you're going to come up. Now you have to take all of this with a grain of salt because some people will go after a company and they'll try to bury it through bad reviews or a site that doesn't necessarily go through and really go through any research on some of these letters and some of this input. But after a while, you're going to get a pretty good taste of what that company's all about or what that product's all about. So always make sure that you check references. That is rule number 12. Well, Robert, back in the days of the credit crunch and the housing crunch, we were always hearing about Freddie, Fannie, Jenny May when it came to financing. And a lot of people still don't understand all these many years later, who or what are these things? All right. That's, a, that's actually a really good question. <laughs> I like that, Rob. Yeah. So here's how this works. Uh, you know, in, uh, and this is kind of crazy, but people think that banks make mortgages with the money they have in their, in their accounts. And they actually, yeah. they do not. All right. So the, the way it works is like where a bank is willing to make you a car loan because a car loan has a five-year, you know, five-year life expectancy. Sure. And what happens is you're paying down a car loan as you get into years like three, four, and five, the balances are low, right? So you start mm-hmm. off with a big balance and then by year five, you're paid off. So years four and five, the balance is very, very low. So the thing that banks hate, that banks can't have, when the FDIC audits banks, one of the primary things they look at is what's called interest rate risk. Okay, so here's what happens, Rob. So today we're not getting anything on our checking accounts, right? Amen. They're paying us point one 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 nothing on our checking accounts, right? Yeah. And so when you look at that, and you say, oh wow, the bank they'll give me a car loan at, at three point nine nine, you know, but that you know that's that's really low, but they can afford to because they're only paying me point one 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 on my checking account, <laughs> right? right? So what happens if twelve months from now the economy has completely recovered? And now banks have to pay us four to five percent on our checking and our savings accounts, right? Uh-huh. I mean, you remember a time, Rob, when oh, savings accounts were paying ten percent. And you got I mean, you got a little trinket with you, you got a yes. toaster. So you know, we've we've been in this situation of stupid low interest rates for so long. A lot of people forget that there was a time when you could get five, six percent, four, five, six percent on a, a CD, on a money market, on a mm-hmm. on a savings account. So what happens is all of a sudden the bank has to pay you interest on your money. But guess what? That car loan they made four years ago, it's still at 3.99% because they can't go back and renegotiate and change the interest rate, right? And so they would now be losing money. And so the idea is what banks are having to try to project is how long are rates going to be low? And they have to build an interest rate that pays them profits today but won't lose them very much money uh, when the the loan is paid off. Ah. So that's very easy to do on a on a car loan because it's only a five-year loan, right? Mm -hmm. That's easy to do on a – that's why most credit cards are adjustable rates. So as the rates That's go right. up, the, the credit card can go up. So along comes the mortgage where consumers want a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. Anything could happen in 30 years. Guess what? Banks do not want to own 30-year fixed rate mortgages because bankers are scared to death that they could actually put their bank out of business if they made you a 30-year loan at 3.5%, and then all of a sudden rates in two years go to 4%, they would lose money for the next 28 years. Banks can't afford to do that. And right. so the solution was to create a bond-type clearinghouse for mortgages. And this is Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Jenny Mae. So what happens is even if you go to the biggest bank in the country, they are most likely not going to use their own money to make you that mortgage. Mm-hmm. They're going to turn around and they're going to securitize your mortgage through Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or Jenny Mae. Now, during the boom, Wall Street got in on this game too. And Wall Street started securitizing mortgages. So a lot of people have mortgages that are not guaranteed by Fannie or Freddie or Jenny. Well, they're still mm-hmm. not being made with the bank's money. The bank was securitizing them through Wall Street instead of Fannie, Freddie, and Jenny. Well, that's all gone now because obviously Wall Street lost so much freaking money yeah. with the crisis that they're not interested in securitizing <laughs> mortgages anymore. anymore. But that's the important thing to understand is whether you come to RP Funding, a small lender like us, or you go to the biggest bank on the planet, the money you're being lent is not coming from that institution full, you know, for the full term. We use interim funding to make the loan, and then we turn around and we securitize it through Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or Jenny Mae. So Fannie Mae, which is FNMA, stands for Federal National Mortgage Association. Their initials were FNMA. Their stock symbol is FNMA. And FNMA sounds like Fannie Mae. 
and that's where the name Fannie Mae came from. They actually at one point adopted that officially, F-A-N-N-I-E-M-A-E, when initially it was just F-N-M-A, which seemed like Fannie Mae. Yeah. And then Freddie Mac, I don't really understand where the Freddie Mac came from. They're F-H-L-M-C, Federal Home Loan Mortgage Acceptance Corporation. And and I don't know how that turned into Freddie Mac, but it, <laughs> but it did, right? Uh, so I, who knows? Freddie Mac. And so those are the, the two that, that used to be private. They used to be actually traded on the stock exchange. They right? were profit for-profit companies, but they had a government charter. So there was a government backstop that basically said if they ever fail, the government would step in and make good on their their notes and their debt, oh, which go. is what gave bond investors the, the, the confidence to invest in those bonds and those mortgages at such low rates. And then Ginny May, GNMA, Government National Mortgage Association, has always been a government agency. It's actually run by HUD, which is uh, one of the cabinet members of the president is the secretary of HUD. Yeah. And HUD runs Ginny May. So Ginny May has always been a government entity. And where now Fannie and Freddie are, because when they collapsed, the government took all their stock and put them into conservatorship, loaned them the money to bail them out, has now been paid back, but is still taking the profits. Mm-hmm. So that that's what that is. So no yeah. matter where you get a mortgage, if you're getting a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, there is a 98% chance that it will end up with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or Jenny Mae if it is below the conforming loan limit of $417,000. Now, there are a couple little credit unions that will do their own loans, but it's usually on adjustable mm. rate mortgages. Right. You know, they'll do a, a three-year adjustable or a five-year adjustable or a seven-year adjustable on their own, right? But most banks and credit unions will not make a 30-year fixed loan with their own money. They will only do it if they're securitizing through Fannie, Freddie, or Jenny. Did that, did that answer it, Rob? Yeah, it I really mean, did. Is and there more I need to touch? Because, again, this, well, to me, yeah. this, is like, this is like a second language. Like, yeah. I, I speak That's mortgage, right? So yeah. what, what, what about that? There Maybe was, did I not explain or didn't make sense? What do you think? Well, one of the things you taught me also is – I guess way back in agriculture days when a lot of the country was agriculture, USDA would give unbelievable loans to get farmland and stuff. Well, there still is USDA, but now it's not necessarily a farm loan, right? Yeah, so the, the idea is, so for Ginny May, Government National Mortgage mm-hmm. Association, uh, in order for Ginny May to securitize a mortgage in its charter, that loan has to be guaranteed by another government agency. Okay. And so originally... The Jenny May loans were all securitized, were all guaranteed by the Federal Housing Administration, FHA, another division of HUD. Well, then the Veterans Administration came along and said, well, we want to yeah. have a loan program to help veterans buy houses with no money down. And that's where the VA loan came from. So now Jenny May would securitize any loan that was guaranteed by FHA or VA. And then maybe, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, the United States Department of Agriculture said, well, we want to get in on the game, too, (laughs) because we want to help people buy homes in rural areas to help support farming communities. And so the USDA got into the mortgage business as well. So today, if a loan is guaranteed or insured by either FHA, Federal Housing Administration, VA, Veterans Administration, or USDA, United States Department of Agriculture, we can put that loan into what's called a Jenny May pool, which is a Jenny May security. Now, there's only three, I think it's like 340 lenders in the country who are approved to actively issue Ginny May securities, and we are one of them here You're at RP Funding. That's right. So, again, whether if you get an FHA loan from the biggest bank on the planet or from RP Funding, we are both directly securitizing that loan through Ginny mm-hmm. May in the exact same manner, and we get the exact same pricing. See, that's, that's the thing. A lot oh. of people think, oh, well, the big bank, they got to be able to get money cheaper than you can, Robert. They can't. When we do a Ginny May security, we get paid the exact same price for that security. But guess what, Rob? I don't have layer upon layer upon layer of BS yeah. overhead and executives managing executives managing executives and 13 buildings in the same city with my name on them and wasted square footage everywhere and all this garbage that they have to deal with, which is how we, and plus the commissions. We always, you know, oh, yeah. what they pay in commissions is insane to me. I can't understand how they run a business paying that much out in commissions, but these big banks do. And that's why we're able to give such a better price, mm-hmm. no lender fees and everything we do at RP Funding. It all comes down to that relationship with Jenny, Fannie, and Freddie. If Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Jenny Mae didn't exist, I wouldn't be able to compete. Because a little company like me could not compete with the behemoth bank out there. Yeah. But I can because we all take our loans to the same clearinghouse, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Jenny Mae. And because they're all government-sponsored enterprises, they won't let them give a better price to the big guy. Because they uh-huh. want it to be an even playing field of competition because those securitizing entities are supported by taxpayers. And taxpayers can't pick winners and losers. They can't give a big bank a better price than RP funding. It's, it's not American. It's not right. Mm-hmm. So they don't. So we can compete on a level playing field with those big banks because of Ginny Mae, Fannie Mae, and Freddie Mac. Yeah, and if you're just tuning in, you're tuning in a bit late, but there's still financial empowerment coming your way as we save thousands with Robert Palmer. I'd like to take you to our website if I can. And if you're sitting someplace, if you're not driving, okay, 
and you can turn your attention to a computer or a smartphone or whatever, try to uh, just look up the savingthousands.com website, savingthousands.com. You get that on your smartphone, your tablet, whatever, whatever computer device you've got. Okay, across the very front page, you'll find it so easy to navigate. This webpage was designed by some of the most talented people in the business, and they designed it with you in mind. So you're going to see the homepage right there in front of you, right? You're going to see a very nice picture of Robert Palmer, and uh, it kind of re- rotates and shows you different things about the site. But across the top, you're going to see, of course, the rules that we talked about earlier. That's a neat tab. The next tab to your right would be radio shows. That's where you find archived radio shows that Robert and I have done over the past eight to 10 years. There's about 400 hours of content. So yeah, there's a lot there. Next over is station listings. These are the stations that carry us throughout the Southern United States. Just over from that is an ask RP. That's where you can click on that and a form will come up and you can ask RP. And then next to that, is your portal to the home value hotline that I talked about earlier. But let's back up a minute and let's go to Ask RP. All right, Jonathan, who lives down in Lakeland, he hit that tab on Ask RP and he writes, this is how it looks on the site right now, Robert. He writes, I want to buy a second home and use as a rental. Right now that home is spinning off for the current owner $900 a month in rental income. As I apply for my mortgage, can I use that $900 a month as part of the mortgage plan? All right. So first off, uh, you use the word second home, and then you talked about a rental. rental. So that, that's, problem. A, that's a problem, right? So, and again, I get this. I mean, Jonathan's not in the industry, and he sure. probably doesn't mean what we mean by second home. But I right. do want to explain to our audience that uh, there, there are three types of residences when it comes to finance, okay? And these make a difference to us because they carry different levels of risk, and they have different interest rates. So the first is your primary residence. Mm-hmm. All right. Then when we use the term second home in the industry, uh, we're talking vacation home, right? So this is a home that you are going to spend time in. You are not going to rent it out. This is your second home. This is your vacation home. Uh, and what we find is there is a lower risk to us as a lender for someone who is buying a vacation home that they're going to to use personally oh, yeah. versus a home they're planning on renting out. And the reason is, if you're buying a, a vacation home for your own personal use, you are planning on making the payment out of your personal funds for the entire year. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. you are buying an investment property, that means you are planning on hopefully having a tenant or a renter who makes the payment for you. So what happens if said tenant or said renter does not make the payment for you? What happens if they lose their job? What happens if they flake out? What happens if they pack up the middle of the night and disappear? Now you don't have the money coming in to pay that payment. And you were never planning on paying the payment out of your own money the way you were if you were buying a vacation home that you were just going to have. And you're like, hey, you know, honey, we're doing well this year. We love to go down to New Smyrna Beach. Let's buy a little condo on the ocean over there, and we're not going to rent it out. We're just going to use it for our personal use. We can afford the $1,000 a month in our budget. Let's do it. Let's reward ourselves. That's different than saying, I'm going to buy a condo, and I'm going to rent it out, and I'm going to make money off of it. And all of a sudden, if I ever had to pay that $1,000 a month out of my own pocket, I would be in trouble. And, And so, again, Rob, this, again, gets into risk. So if you can afford the rental property without a tenant, then if things ever go wrong— you will call it. You'll be okay. You can Very afford good. to make the payment. If the only way you can afford that rental property is by having a tenant in there and by utilizing the rent to offset the payment, what happens when the tenant moves out? What happens when the tenant files bankruptcy? What happens when the tenant can't make the payment? You now cannot afford to make the payment. So while there are some loan programs that will allow us to consider the potential rental income of an, of an investment property, they have a lot of other gotchas. We want to see a lot of months of reserves. Mm-hmm. We want to see a lot of history, maintaining rental properties. It's not just an easy yes. And, and my personal advice is, if you cannot afford the rental property with it being vacant, if you can't afford to go 12, I want you to sit there right now and say, if I had to go 12 months oh. without a tenant, would it destroy my life financially? And if the answer is yes, then don't buy the rental property because you never know. Mm-hmm. And the last thing you want to do and I understand why people buy rental properties. I mean, they're, they're trying to better themselves. They're trying to build for wealth. They're trying to expand their financial situation. But if you are not in a financial situation where you can afford to go 12 months, and will you ever have to go 12 months? Probably not. But who knows? I mean, who would have ever thought home prices could drop 
the way they dropped in 2008 and 9, right? Rock. So if you can't afford to go 12 months without getting a dime of rent, my advice to you is do not buy that rental property. Do not take the risk. Do not put your finances in jeopardy by taking on something you can't handle. Buy a smaller rental property. All right. Right? Maybe you've got maybe you've got twenty or thirty thousand dollars for the down payment. So you're thinking you're gonna buy a nice little hundred thousand dollar investment property. Go buy a thirty thousand dollar investment property cash. Or buy a sixty thousand dollar investment property and have the mortgage be low enough that you could afford to pay it. The other thing I will tell you to be cautious of, the same conversations we just had. If sixty thousand dollar home A is a condo and the monthly dues are $1,000 a month, oh, yes. that will be more than your mortgage payment. This is a problem. Uh, so keep all that in mind. You've got to look at the homeowner association or condo dues, the property taxes. And here's the other gotcha with an investment property. You don't get to file homestead exemption. So if you're buying a house, wow. right? So if I'm buying Rob's house, Rob lived in the house, Rob had homestead exemption, and now he's selling it to me, and it's going to be my rental property. The county will find out. That there's no longer an owner-occupant there. They will revoke the homestead exemption, and the taxes will go up by seven, eight, nine hundred dollars a year. I'd say instantly. So don't be fooled as you're looking at this and saying, "Well, these property taxes are only a thousand dollars a year." Uh, if the person you're buying it from has homestead exemption, you need to call the county and find out what the property tax bill will be when it's an investment property and there is no longer homestead exemption. And folks at home, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you what, every single time we get an Ask RP, I learn a lot. And it really does open up the door toward more to talk about right here at Saving Thousands Radio and articles at savingthousands.com. Let's go back to that site for a minute before we wrap up the show for the day. I was telling you earlier about what each tab does across the top of the page, and that led us to our Ask RP. But then if we scroll on down, we will see a way that we can just click on a microphone and we can play a recent show that has been aired live across the Southern United States. That's pretty easy. Now, under that, there are eight boxes. And you might look at these as you're going down a giant saving thousands information hallway. Okay, picture that in your mind and picture eight doors. And once you're through that door, there would be radio shows, articles, there would be testimonials, there would be info modules, all dealing with that part of finance. There's personal finance, there's credit cards, credit scores, mortgages, home ownership, financial zombies. We don't want you to be a financial zombie, loans and banking. And when you click on any one of those tabs, you're going to open up to a whole world of information that all centers on that very topic. Talk about making it easy. It couldn't be any easier. Now, below that, still on the homepage, you're going to see some of our top-ranked articles that are just going strong right now, articles that people are clicking on, and they read it. Like, how much does it really cost to attend college? Great article. Here's another. Challenges your budget will face this fall. Think about it, huh? All right, moving back home with the parents and a good strategy for an exit. And here's another. Finally, Budget tips, four ways to stay on track. Well, we've run out of time, Robert, so it's time for us to head back to our desk and do more work so that our listeners, our customers can save thousands with Robert Palmer. 